Hello and welcome to another episode of Building Success, a real estate podcast. My name is Nick and I will once again be your guide as we talk to some of the best and brightest in the worlds of real estate tech, operations, and financials from across the globe. This podcast would not be possible without listeners like you, so if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of it, please consider liking and subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Beyond Pod, uh, YouTube, anywhere where you listen to this podcast. We'd certainly appreciate it. Helps us in the rankings and lets us know how we're doing. So today we're going to continue on our series of episodes that were recorded at the International Users Conference from MRI uh, in October in Atlanta, Georgia. And today we're going to be listening in on tech challenges in investment organizations. And though it was titled as such, uh, this really does have applicability across uh, real estate organizations. Uh, We had a great panel Abhinav Samani from Leverton, Josh Malinoff from Redirect Consulting, and Ray Lebrun from Cone Resnick, uh, formerly NOI Strategies. Uh, The three of them spoke to some of the challenges that are facing real estate organizations today, some of the real big opportunities in the technology space, and listening in from people that are providing software solutions as well as consulting services. uh, It was a really great panel moderated by my friend and colleague, Andy Birch. I hope you really enjoy it. Uh, I got a lot out of it listening in on it. I hope you do as well. So without further ado, let's take you to the episode. Well, good morning. Congratulations. You survived to the last day, so that's all good. Um, I'm actually quite pleased with the turnout for this. and I was just talking with the guys about how we're going to do this next year. Um, So any feedback on that? More kind of suggestions on the kind of panels that you'd like to see would be hugely appreciated. Um, So let's get back to today and what we're covering. Um, So we're going to cover some of the technology challenges in investment organizations. And in reality, this is kind of for any real estate organization, whether it's from an investment angle or from the property management side, you know, to front office. Um, these are some of the challenges that organizations face. Um, we're kind of privileged, I, I guess, because we go to a number of events on a regular basis and we get to kind of experience some of these technologies, talk about it. Uh, and we just thought it was a good idea if we kind of share some of that general kind of feedback about what's going on uh, with the audience this morning. Um, so let me just get through the the housekeeping. Um, thank you to our sponsors, especially these three that volunteered to uh, to join the panel this morning and make this a lot more interesting than just me talking about it. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to let these guys introduce themselves. So first, let's start with Abe, who's the CEO at Leverton. Over to you. Um, hey, everybody. Uh, I'm the CEO of Leverton, an artificial intelligence uh, data extraction company for contracts, legal and corporate contracts, particularly in the real estate industry, uh, real estate leases, and other types of documents. Um, I'm based out of New York and uh, really happy to be here um, being a partner with uh, MRI. Um, this is our 
third year, I think, at the MRI conference, and it's just amazing to see how much it continues to grow and all the diverse people that are coming from all different backgrounds now to learn about how to kind of propel technology in the real estate industry. Yeah, and Abe's done some really cool stuff uh, in conjunction with MRI. Uh, he's also helped in terms of uh, podcasts, providing a, a, a much deeper insight into things like AI. Um, so if what you hear this morning is interesting, listen to the podcast as well to get that, that, that deeper level understanding of what's going on. Josh. All right, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Josh Malinoff. I'm a principal at Redirect Consulting. So Redirect uh, helps real estate companies, really focuses on the areas of investment management, asset management, property management, accounting. So what we do is we come in and help your business become more efficient using uh, technology. Um, we have uh, folks all over the country and uh, have been working with MRI for oh, quite a long time. So this is actually our 20th up, uh, year sponsoring um, and presenting at the user conferences and uh, have a long history of uh, great partnership. Yeah, I would echo that. So Josh's team have been working on some of our biggest kind of investment uh, implementations uh, and have been a, a valued partner for some time now. Ray. Uh, my name is Ray LeBron. I'm with Cone Resnick, specifically the Commercial Real Estate Advisory Group. Uh, we were, <coughs> we're still known as NOI Strategies, but there were slowly becoming all Cone Resnick. Uh, and we have been a partner with them, I think officially for the last couple of years, but uh, as NOI Strategies, we worked with them for the past few years. Uh, we do very much the same thing that uh, our redirect does. We, you know, we help clients strategize and, and use people process and their technology better. And so that's yeah. Again, great, great insight into what's going on in the industry. Uh, team is fantastic, uh, given a, a good perspective on what's going on out there. Okay, so what are we covering this morning? Um, we can't just cover technology kind of A to Z or A to Z as I would say, but anyway. Um, we're gonna hit some of the key kind of hype things that are going on out there. Uh, and, and, and really, that kind of just leads on to the next slide. This is a bit of an eye chart, and I don't expect you to read it, but it, it's just, I get, as I was kind of thinking about this session, I started kind of reflecting on how different technologies have been hyped up over the last 10 years. Um, and then thinking about how really they've been adopted within the industry, or not as the case may be. Some of those uh, technologies on that Gartner hype cycle, if you've seen that kind of curve, so it goes through that, uh, that kind of peak of excitement down through the trough of disillusionment and then hopefully out onto the plateau of productivity if it makes it through the bottom of that curve. Um, so some of the ones that we're going to touch on today are things like big data, uh, AI, blockchain, and then we're just going to have a general discussion uh, about other technologies that we're starting to see um, and, and maybe hopefully some, pre <laughs> some predictions about uh, about what's gonna happen next. Um, so the first one we're gonna start with is, is big data. So before we actually start on big data though, uh, 
we've been on a number of panels together and we've talked about technology in the investment space. One of the things that I think we're starting to realize as a group is that when you look out there, particularly in that kind of North America investment marketplace, things that were kind of discretionary before, things that were just, well, I use Excel today for that, I don't really need a system for it. Um, I've got a team of people that would just type in the lease details, I don't really need a system for that. What people are finding is now that in order to kind of compete more effectively, it's a saturated market out there, in, in order to provide the kind of customer service to their investors that they're actually looking to provide, that it's no longer a discretionary spend. These are things that, whereas you used to think of just about the kind of GL or the uh, AP ledger as the things that were definitely must-haves, it's a much broader spectrum of technology solutions that you need in order to compete uh, more effectively in the marketplace. So the first one we're going to touch on is big data. Um, so this is bit, this term, this is kind of our oldest one, really, uh, out of the ones that we're discussing today. Um, this has been um, around for some time now, uh, and we're really looking at how is this uh, how is this being adopted? What's going on? Um, are a, are organisations just taking too long to get on this kind of obvious technology? So I'm going to start with Ray. Ray, what's your kind of view on this? So you know the big the term big data has been around for a long time, and it, and it, it to me it's just kind of it's nebulous what it, what it kind of means, but what and it has taken a while to adopt. I think though in smaller terms, companies are starting to realize the data that they have and starting to slice things different ways. I want to see things by region, I want to see things by asset manager, I want to see things by uh, asset type. And, and now it's starting to understand how much data that they actually own and have and trying to capture that data and then use it, utilize it in meaningful ways. And I think now we're starting to see that more. People are starting to see the value of, of, of their data and how to normalize it and do analytics upon it. Uh, you know, it's no longer enough just to see how well our assets performing, how well are my investments performing, but start using that data to understand why is this one doing better than this one. And so now we're starting to see some the introduction of third-party data, not just internal data, uh, to understand why, and then maybe later down the road, you know, predictive which where's the best place to spend my investment dollars because these assets are going to be similar to the ones that are doing well. And I think it's starting to happen more. Uh, and it's one of the things that's a challenge for companies that have been operating a long time trying to get all the data that they know they already have and where they want to go. Okay. okay. Abe, what's your view on what's going on with big data? Yeah, so um, uh, like Ray said, big data is, is kind of this nebulous term. I mean, if I take a thousand light items in Excel, I think I can call it big data and run like a quick pivot table. I would say I'm doing data analytics, right? Um, it's 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 funny in, in in the in the commercial real estate market and in the investment market, if you look at real estate overall over any ten year period of time, it's pretty much outperformed every major indice since um, you know the twenties or the thirties, and so when you have an asset class that uh, provides uh, you know high returns in sort of the ten to twenty percent return area, 
you have all these great depreciation benefits that we've just now in Congress uh, extended essentially indefinitely. Um, you have like very little reason for investment managers uh, to 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 invest in technology to if it doesn't move the needle enough. So if you go and you tell you know your team, the investment team, and you say, hey, let's invest in this analytics platform. It can give you all these great insights. And they're like, well, we're meeting our numbers this year, and we're delivering performance. So why should we do it? And then what happens is the economy cycles. And you go to a recession and you underperform, and then they all come back to you and you're like, why didn't you implement the technology that could have gave us the warnings and the signals that this was happening, right? I mean, something simple in 2007, 2008 from your accounting system would have been that, hey, you're, a whole bunch of tenants just started lagging in their payments. And that would give you a clear you know, forewarning and indicator that like you're not collecting cash, something's wrong. And then you go check the health of the tenants, you ask them to do an audit of their financial statements, which you're probably allowed to by the leasing. And all of a sudden, you would have un uncovered that half your tenants are like going down or under or whatever, right? Um, but that doesn't happen. So you have to find that like clear strategy uh, in sort of between economic cycles. And I think who knows where we are in, in this cycle. It seems like the good times are going to keep rolling for, for a long time. But we all know that the, the economy will cycle, whether it's sharp or whether it's slower. Um, you need to kind of be prepared for that, and that's where we have to kind of find really, really good use cases for the analytics. And you don't want to go out with this entire very comprehensive, let's do big data across every single spectrum. Find like one problem, one use case that you feel like you can answer with some big data analytics, prove to the investment management team that this data is going to be relevant and it's going to be important, and do stress tests with it. So show them, hey, while things are good, this data is going to make you be even better at what you're doing. And when things get really, really bad, which they might, this data could help you prevent you know, that next loss of you know, your investment dollars. So everybody likes big data. Everybody wants to do big data. But big data doesn't have to be big. It can actually be small. And you can actually make a lot of wins by, by doing it that way. OK, I, I, and I, I think that's a great point. You know, I was just thinking myself about the fact of you know, where are we in the cycle? How does big data help us in terms of that kind of pre predictive analysis <coughs> perspective? I'm going to get to Josh in just one second, but just through a show of hands, who thinks this cycle is almost ending? Okay, a couple of people not so positive about it. Who thinks it's like at least another three or four years away? Who thinks this is just one long, exciting ride and it's never going to end? Okay. Canadian, I can't answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Josh. Yeah. So, um, lots to talk about here. So, uh, big data. I guess you know. First of all, we got to kind of think about it as a term and, and what it means to the real estate space, right? Big data to a manufacturing company who has tremendous volume is is very different than what we talk about uh, within the real estate context of you know very low volume minimal transactions, buying, selling buildings, recurring rents to tenants, payments to vendors, um, even for the largest owner operators or investment management firms, that, that's a small amount of data. So, so big data is gonna be a theme that you're gonna hear a little bit more about this morning around what can you do with that data, not you personally, but what can the machines do with it for machine learning and artificial intelligence. So this is the sort of genesis, you, know, you need big data to make all those cool buzzwords that you're hearing have value. So um, there's a big question still out there, does real estate have big data? So there's certain areas like pricing, um, energy, uh, clearly where there's a, a lot of opportunity there. 
but we're even seeing basic things, you know, like Abe mentioned, where, hey, we, we don't have big data per se, but we have data historically that we can use for predictive analytics, those 2007, 2008 warning signs that you talked about, you know, two years too late. Um, so the, the challenges here are enormous. Um, we can talk a little bit about some of the things we can do, um, everyone can do to, to overcome those challenges, but as many of you probably are aware, you're struggling a little bit now with where the data is. So to, to get to this um, answer around analytics and, and to help your investors who are asking for all kinds of information, um, we see many of our clients struggle with that because a lot of that data is not in a place that it can be um, analyzed. It's in Excel spreadsheets. It's, it's not yet um, in a place. So one of the first baby steps you have to, to think about, um, if you haven't already, is take an inventory of you know, where all that data is and how much of it are in you know, normalized databases versus how much are in people's um, you know, file drawers or, uh, or, or uh, local network drives as Excel files. Um, so that, that's your very first step and we're gonna talk a little bit more about once you have it um, in a database, what you can do with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, any of you wanna come back on any of those points? Only I would say is I, I don't, I, big data analytics portion is just starting, I think. Yeah. We're just starting to understand how to use the data, and it's, uh, and as Josh said, getting the data is really the key, and how do you get it into consumable ways, and there aren't a lot of efficient ways yet that we're... Yeah, I, I, think the, I think you're right. I think the technology is only just now catching up on how to analyze that big data that you've got. Uh, and that technology is helping to actually uncover issues in that data. And now we're going to get full cycle in, in terms of now looking at the AI uh, aspects and so on in terms of improving the consistency <coughs> of that data, which we'll come on to in a, in a, in a minute. Has anyone got any questions uh, about big data? No? Who's already think that they've got a... a a big data implementation project going on that they're happy with, that they're making progress with. Tammy? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think one of the other problems, and, and, and you can see it from the show of hands, is when you're faced with the question of, of big data, the possibilities are literally endless. You don't mm. really know where to start. If we look at other technology transformations that you may have done in your business over the past 10 or 15 years, there's generally been a roadmap. There's generally only been three or four possible ways to do something. There's only like, you know, two ways to do cost allocated depreciation. There's like, there's limited choices and you just had to pick like, you know, I either go with this vendor or I go with this process. When you go to big data, you literally can compare anything on an X and Y axis and come up with a million different interpretations as well. I can take my rent roll and compare it to stock market performance. I can take the average days that it takes me to collect cash and compare it to, you know, the, the price of cotton candy. Like, you know, like it's just sort of endless, right? Yeah. And so I think that's what makes it all the more confusing is the fact that you have all these endless possibilities and you kind of need to figure out, okay, what's, what's actually meaningful, what's important, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, and I think on top of that, I think the industry remains kind of underserved in this area because um, I, I, I think some of you will probably deal with maybe NACREF or IPD or someone like that. Um, that's 
probably about the only kind of decent kind of benchmark data in there. Uh, you, you're probably extending processes within your own organizations, so you are kind of collecting your own data. But to truly take advantage of market data, data outside of your organization, organization to bring in, to, to do kind of um, comparable analysis, benchmarking, et cetera, it's not that easy. Not that easy. Yeah. Just one comment. I mean, we got the first step. Get a database together and collect the information you have. And then the question is, okay, what do you do with it before you start thinking about what external data can we bring in to start to process? So our initial approach was the IT group said, well, let's just put some dashboards together and throw it out, which worked with some people and didn't work with other people because they didn't know exactly what the end users were looking for. So I think to address kind of that first issue with, okay, we've got our data, what do we do with it, is find a problem or one thing that you think you can solve and then work with that individual or that user group and say, let's tailor a solution for you. Mm -hmm. And that's a win for the data. And, and now move on to kind of the next step. And that's, that's the process we're going through is pick a group that has an issue, give them a solution, and then go from there with that one kind of feather under your cap. I'll let Josh and Ray come back on this in a second, but uh, a question for you. Um, do you feel like you've got an adequate kind of cross-functional team that are actually assessing that? Or is it just IT saying, well, they probably kind of need this metric or? Uh, I, I think we do now. When, the, okay. pro, when the, the project originally kicked off, it was really IT and operations, and right. the communication was, okay, what do you need? Great, we'll put something together, but they, don't under, they didn't understand the business side, what was truly yeah. needed, and, and what metrics or how the users would actually look at the information and want to see it. So now we've got a team that is across departments that yeah. uh, up front is saying, Here's what we need. Here's how we want to digest it. Here's why it's meaningful. So then the IT group really has an understanding of what what's going to be used, what what will actually be appreciated and utilized. Because if you don't get the utilization in the end, yeah, the project fails and it never moves forward. Exactly. Yeah. Ray, do you want to? Yeah, I think your approach is right, and Abe touched on it as well. You know. Data, having all this data is great, but if you don't have an an a question to answer, you could use, misuse it and it becomes you know, not useful. Uh, and so you have to have specific questions that you want to answer. And then you can <coughs> use that data to answer those questions. And, and that's when you start to add on to it and you start understanding which outside factors may or may not impact those questions. And I think that's the way you approach it. You start with one question and you go and you build onto it. And that's what makes meaningful out, output meaningful analytics are useful, and that, now your data becomes useful, and, and it builds on from that. Yeah, yeah different companies are answering that question differently. So, so um, one, one trend we're seeing is a common theme of those who have overcome the challenge of aggregating the data and normalizing, getting into a warehouse or something like that. Um, the common theme is, is, is they don't know how to present it to the business. So, so um, a couple ways to approach it. One, you know, Abe and Ray touched on around find a very specific problem, address it. That it builds adoption and, and, and gets people interested in, in the hard work required to aggregate it and, and, and you know, make meaningful decisions. Um, but we also see the um, data strategy and, and, and some larger firms, the chief data officer role, 
Um, and what that is is somebody who says, our most valuable asset besides the buildings we own is, is our data, right? That, that's what yeah. differentiates us as a business in the market and can make, give us a tremendous competitive advantage, but we don't know what to do with it. So um, some firms are investing in, in well, either a cross-functional team like you described or a dedicated role that acts as almost like an Uber um, business analyst, somebody who interfaces between IT, who helped capture the, and aggregate the data, and the business to figure out what, where, where those questions are and what information is needed. And, and that role is, is like becoming super important. So um, it doesn't have to be a full-time role, um, it, 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 but it is something um, everyone should probably start uh, thinking about if you haven't already. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard that term a few times, the yeah. CDO, yeah. Chief Data Officer. Well, uh, I'll make sure. the first uh, prediction. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so I'm going to go out there. I believe in 2019, dashboard will be the most hated word in the technology industry. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe that you will have a dashboard for your dashboards. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, let's move on. Um, this could be the other most hated word in the industry, uh, which is blockchain. Um, and, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, we're hearing it a lot. I, I, I know that many of you, you're kind of faced with day-to-day -day challenges and you're kind of thinking about this stuff and preparing your organizations or trying to prepare your organizations for, for what's coming next. Um, so I'm going to get the insight of these three esteemed gentlemen to give us their views on on blockchain and how it's being used. Um, I'm going to start with Josh though because uh, Josh and I have uh, covered this a couple of times uh, and Josh can give a, a kind of succinct um, definition let's say of, of, of what this is to start with. Yeah, Thanks Andy, I'll try. Um, so you know blockchain is uh, and crypto you're hearing about constantly right it's it's you can't uh, turn on your computer or see a news feed um, and, and you know the big challenge that you know that we're seeing is is how does this really apply to me? How, how can I use it within the context of a real estate firm? Um, and there there are uh, a couple things to consider. One, um, the good news is there's some immediate application. The not so good news is you're going to have to have a little bit of patience and kind of predict where we're going to be in ten years. Um, some of these. Uh, technologies, quite frankly, um, have been built in advance of the market being able to adopt it. Um, so one great example of that is the tokenization of real estate. Um, is anyone familiar with that concept? Okay, good. Um, we, we're seeing um, a strong push to make real estate easier to buy and sell. Um, so. Uh, in today's market, uh, and historically, doing a real estate transaction, a buy-sell, is incredibly um, time-consuming, uh, very expensive uh, from an overhead perspective, given all the um, entities involved in that transaction, as well as um, very inapproachable for most individuals um, or even smaller companies, the uh, minimum uh, to invest is high and the, the liquidity of it is very low. Um, so it makes it a um, risky short-term investment and um, longer term sometimes harder to get out when you need to. So, so there's a big push for um, tokenizing the real estate. So what that means is putting the building 
whether it's you know this hotel or a, a property in Singapore, um, on on, uh, on the blockchain, and, and basically breaking it into lots of little pieces that you can buy and sell through the blockchain. So the blockchain is just a ledger. So <laughs> despite all, all the hype and, and excitement, it, at the end of the day, the blockchain is just a ledger of transaction. It's different from the standpoint of it's decentralized, meaning that ledger is replicated across many, many machines and, and is really hard to, as a result to um, to break and, and can be trusted as a, um, a, a transaction that's been recorded. So if you can um, <coughs> offer the components of the real estate in these little um, tokens, they're, they're on the blockchain backed by cryptocurrency, um, you as individuals can now think about buying real estate differently and getting out of it much easier. So your vehicles today are you know, private equity, which is you know, very high net worth or uh, institutional, REITs, which you can invest in, but very little control, right? You know, if you invest in a public <coughs> REIT, you're buying a, a portfolio. So the 10-year future is you as individuals are gonna be able to go on vacation, buy a fraction of a building that you are interested in, very quickly um, gain that ownership share and be very easily dispose of it um, when you need to. The, so that is powered by blockchain, as well as there's some crypto component, but, but it's really a, a practical example that I think many of you will benefit from, both on the, you know, from a personal level, being able to diversify your investments, but also for the landlords and owners, or investment um, management firms associated with these assets, a much more efficient way to gather, gain, raise capital, and deploy, deploy the capital. Why is it 10 years out? Quite simply, there's uh, no different than self-driving cars, whether the technology is much ahead. Um, there are token exchanges now. This concept can be done predominantly offshore because some of the regulations and compliance are, are, are less um, rigid. But the um, list of uh, implementation issues of this are tremendous. Um, classic example would be um, a, a, a residential property that has a, an eviction um, that's governed by very local law and courts. And, and how do you deal with that when you're dealing with a, um, a method of purchasing that's global and, and not, not local? So and the list goes on and on. So um, one of many examples, you know, the um, chart that Andy showed uh, on the opening of, of the explosion of uh, technology available out there, that is a common theme we're seeing. Um, some of the technology is not yet ready to be implemented, and that frustrates folks like Ray and I who are excited about getting it to you. Um, so uh, that's not quite concise, but uh, yeah, no, maybe good. one good example. So how do you deal with the ownership side if you've got a million people owning a piece of real estate, who manages it, who, who, who hires the manager? Right. Yeah, so, so you can certainly unbundle the management just like you do today. So if you um, have a fund today or, or a single asset and, and you raise capital, you might get it from one or two sources as opposed to now you're going to get it from a thousand. But the, the actual uh, you know, operations of the property and the accounting of the property can be done very similar. The reporting to these investors, there are actually um, two or three that we're aware of today systems that handle this whole thing. So if you're a owner of property, 
in theory, you can hand off your, your, your um, fundraising to, to this firm. They will uh, t tokenize your asset for you. They will go through the current, <coughs> it's not the uh, same day buy sell, it's now, we, the best we saw example of is about a 30 day buy and about a 45 day sell. <laughs> So better than today's, um, but they'll, they'll handle that. And part of it, to answer the question, part of that is the reporting to those owner, uh, to those investors. So they're saying, okay, here's the price of the token you purchased it at, here's the current value of it, um, and they'll take care of the allocations that are required. You know, you're gonna say the net nav went up by X, and they're gonna say, okay, a thousand people, here's your portion of the nav. So, so is, is some of your prediction of 10 years owed? Uh, based on the volatility of blockchain value today, and that it will normalize eventually? Not, not so much the value, because um, the, the value is tied to cryptocurrencies, which are, are very volatile. Yeah. Um, but the, the, these concepts aren't really crypto-dependent. Um, they'll, they'll use that just to support the token, but, but you're not buying and selling with cryptocurrencies, so you'll, you'll um, uh, be able to use dollars or you know, however you, you Canadian, however, whatever currency you choose. Um, so that isn't as much of a factor. It's much more about going from a, you know, multi-fiduciary, each sort of giving you that control and protection right. to a, the, the Wild West um, and, and figuring out how to control and, and, and regulate and, and, and comply with the, the needs. Comply with the regulatory yeah. of the country, you're working with foreign ownership. Exactly, like a lot to work through. Hey, what's your uh, take on the Ooh. application implications of this? Personally, I was like super upset that cryptocurrency was the first mainstream application of, of blockchain because blockchain itself is a very interesting and potentially could be an impressive technology. I, I liken it to like going from, you know, uh, the days of like, you know, 28.8 kbps to moving to a DSL or a cable network for transaction handling. <laughs> And imagine if that happened and the first thing we decide to do as a society is make online gambling legal. I mean, that's <laughs> literally what happened, right? Instead of opening up online digital libraries or free courses from MIT, instead we made you know all these cryptocurrencies. Um, the good thing about it, it created a lot of hype really fast and it brought it mainstream really quickly. The bad thing about it is that people now intertwine blockchain with cryptocurrency, even though cryptocurrency is like a very, very tiny, tiny application of the possibilities that can be done with blockchain. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's and, and, and it's hard to kind of separate the two and it might take a couple of years until there are more and more applications of blockchain that are even more valuable and impressive. What uh, are the things that are being done with blockchain now? Well, look, you can imagine anything that requires any form of transaction processing, right? Where I'm seeing things like hospitals that are trying to match payors, payees, billing and coding. Um, I'm seeing um, things in like the oil and gas industry where they have these like crazy swap agreements and they need to like make sure that one side meets the commitments of the other side. Um, obviously hedge funds, derivatives, options trading, this all could eventually go <coughs> to the blockchain, high transaction, high volume. Which brings us back to the, the, the question in real estate where like we aren't doing high transaction and high volume and things aren't moving. But maybe eventually, owning a piece of real estate will not be that different from owning a share in the stock market, for example, and it becomes extremely liquid and you're able to move in and out of positions quickly. I don't think that happens today or tomorrow. It's going to take many years, like folks have said here. Um, and um, you know, I, But I am seeing a couple examples, like real companies that are doing stuff. I recently saw a press release from a company called Real Blocks, 
um, which is probably one out of the four or five, mm -hmm. I think, that uh, are trying to do something here. And they actually, I can't remember the name, and maybe it was Colony Capital or something, and they are actually like pushing forward uh, a capital raise and a transaction to buy a series of properties directly over the blockchain and reaching out to investors. Um, sort of the same way that crowdfunding is, is kind of working also. Um, so there will be applications. Um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time. I don't think personally that blockchain is revolutionary. I think it's evolutionary. Like it is a faster, better way to do what we're doing now, but it's not transformative. It's not going to change the universe the way that AI might, for example. Um, so yeah, th I think that's that's kind of my take on it. Uh, I, there's a lot of good points in there, and I like the, the the fact that you're talking about the separation between blockchain and cryptocurrencies and. Like, you know, a lot of people are thinking about this purely from the actual transaction of kind of buying and selling a, a, a building, but there's a lot of other applications for this. You know, we talked uh, before about uh, things like just uh, having it simply for the maintenance of buildings so that you could have uh, a blockchain that involves <coughs> the parties and have that ability to track exactly what was going on in term terms of whether HVAC units were being maintained properly and, and being able to check and, and, and having some kind of mechanism to ensure that, uh, that, that that had actually taken place without having to have access to various system or, 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 or whatever. But um, Ray, um, we're over to you talking about this in a little bit more detail. Let's talk about the, uh, some of the implications again. Yeah, so when we had our original call and talked about this, I mentioned that to me this is like this is five years ago's term big data that's what blockchain kind of is you, you've heard about it the last couple of years um, but it's moving faster I, I yeah. think it, it's trying to be adopted more and as Josh has pointed out the, the technology isn't quite there uh, but there's a lot of people who want to do things with it uh, a couple of our colleagues were at a, at a conference I think just last week in, in Europe and blockchain was one of the big topics and people wanting to do it for transactions uh, we've got one of our, our uh, clients on the West Coast actually wants to do much like the crowdfunding that, you know, using blockchain to sell parts of the building, have a building that they want to sell parts of. And, and maybe it's tokenized, I, I don't, mm -hmm. but it's the same idea. And so that's two to three years off from them and, and getting that technology. So uh, I agree with Abe, it's, it's more evolutionary. You're going to see this kind of grow. I think the use of maybe for work orders and transactions between vendors is something that's going to come later. But I think that's actually going to be more useful to yeah. the real estate uh, industry than necessarily the buying and selling. The residential, I think you're starting to see it because it's easier. Yeah. It, it, but um, <coughs> the evolution of using blockchain to, to get work orders back and forth and validation of work that's been done is probably a bigger impact to real estate than I think the buying and selling. Uh, I think that's going to be something that's going to definitely for smaller companies, but you're still your institutional companies aren't going to be using blockchain for that. Hmm. I don't see that. And to, and to Ray's point, I mean, let's not forget where like the Ethereum blockchain is actually at today. It is actually slower than a normal hard server transaction because it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You need more and more people on the Ethereum blockchain in order to improve its efficiency and make it faster. But today, if you actually do a transaction processing over Ethereum blockchain versus maybe what you have your standard, you know, hardware stack. It will most likely be slower, 
Um, so the efficiencies and the gains are going to come, you know, later. And you have to kind of decide as an organization at what point in time are you going to invest in in the cycle. It's kind of like, you know, do I buy like an NVIDIA, you know, GPU today, knowing that Moore's law next year, the same <laughs> GPU is going to be like four times faster and cost half as much, right? Um, and I think probably for most of the folks in this room and probably real estate organizations <coughs> in general, this is right now kind of a, a wait and see moment. And, yeah, so it's a little bit like Uber, right? When did they get enough drivers right. signed up? And there's going to be that to make it look a good back service. kind of thing, like, wow, yeah. <laughs> where'd that yeah. come from? Yeah. Um, you know, there is this sort of an immediate, short-term, easy kind of way to do this. So, so I agree with the 10-year thing of, of it's going to take a while to get big, big transactions. But what do you do with small transactions? Why, why would you care about using uh, blockchains? So. Um, Recently, we were at a conference where a, a real estate company, um, the president of the company, just is passionate about technology, so much so that, that he built um, in-house software to um, record all of the real estate transactions um, on, on the blockchain and dem demonstrated it. And so what I mean by transactions are a lease payment, um, a recurring charge being built to a tenant, um, a vendor payment, um, a maintenance transaction with a tenant. Um, and, and we asked, you know, you have a database. It's storing all that. And he said, no, the database is living. It, it could be manipulated. It can be overwritten. It can be queried and destroyed. It could be um, updated. The blockchain is permanent. So they record every single one of these transactions, both in the database and on the blockchain. And it, it, it uses a hashtag. It's not you know, a heavy transaction. It, it, it uses a long hashtag that it's a key that has to agree between what's stored in the database and what's stored on the blockchain to authenticate that transaction. And that hashtag encrypts um, everything about the transaction, the dollar amount, the date, the person who did it, and it can never be manipulated. So they've apparently used it in court um, for some tenant disputes. Um, the applications are tremendous and not something we initially thought about because we thought the database is database but some great points around your data is subject to manipulation it's subject to loss the blockchain currently is much more um, permanent and secure for that type of <coughs> validation and they commercialize that software it's available to purchase so we're looking at it next week and um, they're likely going to be doing a big marketing push and, and you, you're going to see this soon. It, it, I just thought of something like, you know, we talk about the single source of truth. Now we've actually, well, that's wrong. We've actually got a hundred sources of the truth. Right, right. Because it's been distributed across the That's blockchain. the nature of thousands yeah. of people record that same transaction. But it also means you can't clean up your mistakes. Right. They're out there for <laughs> yeah. Which is good, which is good. <coughs> I, I, personally, I love the tokenization aspect because having put two daughters through university, I'm now looking for a way to get into this kind of investment space easily without having the minimum threshold for a typical kind of investment uh, holding. Anyway, let's move on. Um, we're going to talk about AI, and I'm s apologies for the image at this time of day. Um, but. I put this up deliberately because um, I think a lot of people are scared about AI. You know, what does it mean to an organization? How does it impact uh, people's jobs? How they're doing their work? 
you know, is it just not being adopted because it's too difficult, it's too kind of futuristic, is it way out there, <coughs> are we looking at uh, some terminator that's going to take over everything. Um, let's kind of, first of all, explain what we're talking about here, because we talk about a lot of terms like AI, machine learning, uh, robotic process automation. So I'm going to start with A this time to kind of yeah. help distill that. So, uh, look, AI is a, is a big blanket term, and there's a variety of subsets of technologies that are involved in that, whether it's machine learning, deep learning, uh, RPA, um, uh, other types of sort of neural networks and things like that. Um, where we are today is we are still in the very, very early days. It is still a very nascent time. Every AI that gets developed is, is a brain and it's, and it's right now it's a baby, it's an infant and we're teaching it different things. Now you have the big, big technology stack houses like Google and Facebook that are conducting thousands and billions and millions of you know, transactions, you can call them, they could be search keywords, they could be you know, friendships on Facebook, but you're doing stuff at a very high pace and that's for the consumer market. And so you have lots and lots of data to pull from to power these AI engines. So perfect example is, um, uh, for those of you who use Gmail, Gmail just introduced a new concept where like in a slightly lighter font, they start to finish your sentences. And if you're on the app, they actually suggest responses to, to reply, like, I don't even talk to my wife now, I just hit the response <laughs> button. I'm like, thanks, will do, see you soon, right? Um, uh, and she's like, are you using the AI again? Uh, I totally tell. Um, but that's because they have lots and lots of feeds of data, right? And so they're able to come up with these things. And if you actually think about what they're doing, it's not intelligence, because it's not auto-responding, or it's not responding on your behalf, it's not replacing you, it's actually acceleration. It's making you type an email a little bit faster. It's making sure that you don't forget to answer a text message. In fact, they're now pulling up emails to the top of your inbox that you might that says that you need to respond to that you didn't respond to, and it'll pull it up to the top of the inbox and it'll suggest, hey, you, you haven't responded to this email in five days. It looks like somebody asked a question in it because we saw a question mark, right? I'm old enough to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so. There's just like interesting things like that, but I think the key theme is that we are in the stage where we are doing business acceleration, acceleration of processes, uh, semi-automation or full automation of processes, but it is not to the point where it is intelligent in the fact that it replaces somebody or replaces a whole team or it's doing something self-autonomously. Like We're just not there yet probably for that, and I think probably for the next few years we will be in this automation acceleration process. That's actually a good thing because it means that it's going to be a hybrid mix of human effort and involvement along with the technology process, but it can lead to real tangible results, right? Um, and you don't have to have this fear gauge that somehow this AI engine is going to do something that you know we, we, don't, we don't know what it's going to do, right? So <coughs> I think for most AI implementations that we're seeing, a good gauge is that you can achieve something like 20 to 40% efficiencies on what you're doing today, whatever process you have today. The AI can help come and augment, help fill in a couple of fields a little bit faster, help answer a couple of questions quicker, notify you that you know some, some process has not been done properly or is missing some key components. Whatever those things are, it can act like a little assistant or a little buddy kind of thing that helps you along the way. But it's not going to replace everything that you have to do. You're still going to have to do the work to get the process finished and accomplished. So I think if you have that very, 
pragmatic view of AI. You actually can utilize it and adopt it in a variety of ways. Even in a real estate institution that doesn't transact as heavily as, let's say, a large consumer company. Um, and going back to big data, I think AI really is, is a mechanism to get you faster towards that big data element. It's more going to be around how much data do you have to drive the AI, and can you use the AI to also capture big data. So it works in both ways. The AI can help you to, to kind of amalgamate that information into a database, which is crucial, but then the AI also gets powered by that database because it kind of queries all the information, so it works in sort of a circle. Um, but yeah, I think that, look, there's a lot of, uh, unlike blockchain, I would say, I think there's actually a lot of real opportunities to implement some form of AI, whether it's in you know buildings and facility management, whether it's in lease administration, whether it's in um, you know some other element of what you guys are doing today. It could even be investor communication, for example. <laughs> if you just bring in that sort of Gmail API, you can start you know every time investors like, why is my return low? Sure, we'll do next time. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Josh, what are you saying from the implementation uh, side? No, this is exciting stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I like how Abe sort of this defined that self-fulfilling prophecy of using AI to gather more data and then have data do things with it. So let me just sort of boil it down a little bit. Um, so, so three key terms I want to talk about. Uh, RPA, which stands for Robotic Process Automation, ML, Machine Learning, and, and AI, Artificial Intelligence. They kind of go in that order. So. Before you can get artificial intelligence to be meaningful for you, you need a way to um, take things that are typically not available in one place and get them into one place. So we have data to work with and learn from. So how do you do that? Um, people, you're doing it today, people are copy-pasting from Excel to a, a system or opening up an email, saving a file, doing something with it, putting it here. Um, the good news is today, immediately, um, you can look at pretty much anything somebody is doing that doesn't require a qualitative decision, uh, a repetitive process, and use robotic process automation to automate that. And it's quick and easy. Um, so uh, we as consultants never like to use the word quick and easy, but it, it is, um, meaning you can actually do it yourself, or you can find the partner that can do it for you. Um, there are also some off-the-shelf sh off solutions. Abe's company, Leverton, handles uh, document ingestion using robotic process automation, gathers tremendous data from leases, other legal documents that traditionally you outsource to people. Um, so why do you care uh, about that? Well, people make mistakes, people win the lottery, go on vacation. Um, it, 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 it frees up people to do value-added things, um, and and, um, and, it, and it's here today, and it's super easy to implement. What I mean is you have to sit behind somebody at their desk with a program, a, 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 a RPA program, and watch them click and build the workflow and tweak it a little bit, and to Abe's point, it's going to require somebody to watch it. It's not going to completely overtake the person, but you can now have one operator of 10 robots that are repli replacing what you know 30 people were doing for an hour a day. Tons of examples. We, we um, at our firm, over the past two summers, did RPA use cases. We hired a, an intern, the same intern. Uh, he was getting into college. He was coming out of high school. We said, figure this out, because you, you don't know real estate. You don't know 
this technology, you know, we're not paying you a lot of money, just try it. Came back with six use cases at this point. Um, everything from abstracting a lease and, and getting it into a system, like a, an MRI system, to opening up emails, um, saving the attachment, OCR scanning the attachment, like an invoice that comes in from the vendor. Um, check scanning, you know, pe people you know, take a bunch of checks, it, it reads the uh, OCR of the check scan and, and keys and rent payments. Um, we just did one recently for going out and finding pricing on your uh, apartments in the, in the area. They had somebody um, each morning that would be tasked with clicking through uh, 100 property websites and looking at their availability page and seeing what units are out there and what the pricing is and availability. Um, the robot does that in, um, in about three minutes um, without somebody forgetting or without anything. And it took about a day to implement. So this is there today, um, RPA. So, so you got RPA, that gets you all the data that traditionally takes people a lot longer to get or they forget to get. Now we've got it, it it's, it's in a, a normalized database. And then if you have enough of it, the machine learning can kick in to see some trends uh, or, or see some you know useful information within that data i'm seeing a tenant is falling behind in rent payments historically i'm seeing this tenant requires more maintenance than others um maybe i need to remember to send them a, an update on you know taking better care of their equipment Wh whatever it may be um it, thousands of applications but but it, it's using that data that the rpa helped easily aggregate and, and making decisions. And then artificial intelligence is where the real value comes in. It, 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 it starts taking actions for you, making decisions based on that data for you. That's the one that's the furthest out. And, and for most companies, not really um, able to be fully realized today because of the lack of the volume of data. We're not Google that's seen you know, a billion emails a day and, and, and able to, to build in trends. But there are some examples of that as well that's, that are being built into some of the software products, the, the, the asset management, property management systems, using the data within it. So hopefully that sort of gives you a little bit of the pieces and uh, an absolute immediate application. I know during the conference there may have been one or two um, case studies of RPA. If you haven't checked it out, please do. Um, and it's not something to be afraid to, to try out. And, and to Andy and I think Abe's point earlier, you pick just one little thing that you start with and you do a proof of concept like we did and, and then it becomes infectious because people are like, oh man, you got this to do that? Let me try for what I have and, and then it spreads like wildfire. Right, up to you. Well, I don't know if I can add more to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but uh, to Josh's point, we do have a client who is doing the very same thing with RPA. They're King and leases, they're, they're actually using Leverton to abstract leases, taking that data, using RPA to key it in and, and just monitoring it. And so you are seeing some of that stuff kind of take over some of those, I don't want to say less skilled, but the things that require less decision making. Uh, and to, so it's automating it a little bit better. And it started with, with just invoice processing and how we got smarter and, and OCR. And so now you don't determine what is just throw a document in there and it says well this one's an invoice this one's a statement this is a letter and and, and, and expands from there um, and the machine learning part is what's really key because some of that data that we talked about at the beginning is it become very important the more data you have the more data that you can aggregate 
you know, we have a lot of companies who are going to continuous forecasting. And ideally, the thought is if I can start using my machine learning and my data and having AI supplement and having that actually forecast for me, giving tr past trends on where things are, now it's a much faster process because it's, it takes a lot of time for, to do that. And that's where you're going to start seeing value. It's not there yet, but I do think that's where it's kind of coming. So it, it starts with having it automate those things that take that maybe take less decision making and then start using it for things that where you're doing more analytics and now it's producing something that you can analyze and then evaluate and just refine because you never get rid of the person. Yeah. But, uh, and I think it's making it faster, maybe a little bit smarter, maybe mm. start implementing, you know, things from the outside, past weather predictions and things that, how did building, how did it perform, what were the weather trends and all those other things, you know, I think that's a direction that we can start seeing it go. And I think, AI, along with the use of data, mm -hmm. is going to be something we're going to see adopted much faster than maybe blockchain. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And I, I think uh, the thing about this area, I think, is that it's particularly re relevant for investment more maybe than some of the other areas in so much as um, many of uh, the organizations in that kind of investment space that are looking for these kind of looking to provide that service to their investors, they're not necessarily the owners or the operators of those buildings. But at the same time, they're being requested to provide more information, more transparency, uh, better information to those investors about what's going on in those particular buildings because not the investor necessarily needs it. It's not like a regulatory requirement that they must have this data. <coughs> but to provide that kind of higher quality visibility of what's going on with their portfolio of investments, they need more information to come through from those, from those third party property managers. And this is perhaps a mechanism to make it uh, more effective for them to collect that data and to Abe's point, to, to bring it together in that big data set that they need to support their businesses. Yeah, and I'd highlight one other point which is particularly useful for the investment side and the, the owners, operators. Um, unlike other technology trends and the reason that you really, really need to start thinking about adopting or utilizing this somehow, is that this is something that your tenants are going to pick up or are already doing, and they may be doing it better and faster than you. And it's not gonna be long before the tenants are coming to the negotiation table armed with more data, and you will be caught blindsided. And if you think about any sort of you know investment business transaction, right, the reason that you can create ROI or investment is because you're getting a slightly leg up uh, on the people that are giving you money, right? You're selling for a slightly higher margin. If everybody could work at fair market value and everybody understood perfect information, nobody would ever make any returns because you would buy and sell at the exact price. But because there is that difference in the market, you are you know, slightly getting a little bit more from your tenants than, than perhaps that they know because they don't have perfect information and that's why you can produce an IRR for your investors. As soon as your tenants who, if you have Fortune 1000, Fortune 5000, you can Rest be assured that they have teams that are doing big data analytics and they're moving probably much faster than traditional real estate institutions. And it won't be long before they're coming to the table and they're saying, well, I did an analysis, I did a big data analysis, I used my AI team and my technology team, and this is what we're seeing in the market, and this is what the other landlords are giving me, and this is what you know, WeWork is doing, and you know, we don't want to pay this much and we don't want to do this. And every time that happens and you're caught blindsided and you don't have the response for them, 
most likely you may have to give in. And that just means lower returns for your investors, right? And I think that's really, really different from other technology trends where your tenants didn't have a choice. Like we just have to go with whatever the landlord's saying or whatever they're doing. We can't leave, we don't have options. And this will fall into the whole, you know, building trends and millennials and, and workforce trends and all of that kind of stuff too. But certainly, you know, there's one thing to argue with an opinion, like I don't want to be here because I want to keep moving around for three years. And then there's another thing to be arguing with data where they're like, well, it doesn't make sense for my business because I looked at the stats and I looked at the math and here it is. It doesn't make sense for me to lock into a five-year long lease, for example. So this is why I emphasize that it's really important that for your business that you come armed and prepared with this kind of information that AI, RPA, machine learning, big data can all help you to achieve. So um, I'll throw this question to Ray. Um, does this fix that underlying problem in real estate, you know, the lack of standards? So, you know, we've had Pisces, Oscar, ILPA, NACREF, all of these different kind of bodies trying to uh, put in place a standard and uh, certainly the industry seems reluctant to adopt those standards. So is technology fixing that problem of, of being able to manipulate the data into your own uh, standard? Maybe. I, I think, you know, the reason why standards have been difficult is because every company has an idea what they think their secret sauce is. Yeah. And, you know, and, and as you can compare your real estate to all these different things and one company has a solution but the other one doesn't. Um, I think some of these technology today is allowing you to pull more data but it's how do you get, how do you aggregate it, how do you use it. And then once you have it to the point, you know, how do I use that data to answer the questions that I want. Um, and so I think this is helping that. Again, it's, there's still, what am I using it for, what, what questions am I solving and, and one of the other issues is it's not just property data. It's, you know, there's this concept about in retail having the right tenant in the right space. Yeah. And, and, you know, so you need to understand your tenants and their industries and their data. And it's the same, you can apply that same concept to, to multifamily or an office, you know, getting the right tenant for your right space. And so there's a lot of data that isn't real estate specific, it's tenant specific. What type of tenants do I want? And, and I, I think, this is going to help pull that data. Again, you need the technologies to actually aggregate it and then report it out and to tell the story that you're looking for and give you the answers that you're, you're looking for. Okay, yeah, to get to that kind of level of sophistication, yeah. which just tweaks that half a basis point or whatever. Right, on, that, on that creates that value, that yeah. difference. Yeah, you know that that Abe is talking about, and then everyone has a different approach to that. And that's their. There's actually an interesting uh, story online, a case study on the Toys R Us bankruptcy, and how a couple of hedge funds use AI and big data to pretty much predict that Toys R Us wasn't going to meet its debt covenants and whatnot, and uh, w way in advance. And then they came in and they bought the last piece at pennies on the dollar, and they were first out also. So these guys came in. I mean. They're total vultures for sure, but they came in and using a scientific methodology essentially assured that they were going to make like a four or five X on their money while Toys R Us wiped out every single other debt holder and equity holder essentially. Um, so there's interesting applications mm -hmm. of somebody that was a large retailer, large real estate tenant, 
um, for many um, uh, companies, uh, if that same practice had maybe been done by you know the real estate institutions who provided leases, maybe there was an alternative methodology, some sort of you know credit line that the real estate institutions themselves could have provided, um, something that they could have done to help prop it up and ensure that you know this thing continued to exist. So, or or not, or, or be on the other side of it, <laughs> figure something else out. So. Okay, uh, final kind of question for the. For the day, uh, apologies for my. Oh, that's my good details. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some AI in <laughs> Check in now. Um, um, okay, so so we we talked a lot about different technologies. Um, what's 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 next? What's the what's the prediction? What how do we uh, how do we think about? Um, Balancing the benefit versus risk. What's your recommendations and approach for this audience? Uh, so I'm going to start with Ray. Let's start with Ray. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of you know there's a lot of technologies. I think the three things we talked about can can really change. You know, the longer an institution's been around, though, the maybe the more leases they have, the harder it is for them to adapt because it's by you know I'm coming that has three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand leases. And I'm capturing today, you know, 60 data points, but I realize I need 100 or 80. Going back and getting those additional data points off my existing leases it takes time. Even if I built the technology to house that and to report upon it, whereas, you know, much like in the CRM where you had these other these companies popping up who are kind of disrupting it, I think startups are going to have an advantage. Use this technology to their advantage because they can start out smaller and they can actually move a little bit faster on that. Um, so I, I think that's what you're going to start to see is, is much like with the crowdsourcing kind of taking away from some of the larger REITs, some of the smaller companies are going to use the same technology to seem smarter and, and, and attract the individual investor to build their buildings and, and build companies because they can be a little more nimble. Uh, and so that's kind of where I see some of the stuff going and the advantage of it. And not that larger companies aren't taking advantage of the same technology, but it's slower to adopt because it's harder to get everything of all the data that you currently have. Right? Uh, sorry, Josh? Oh boy, wow. So, uh, exciting times, right? So, uh, you're here at the MRI conference, there's a whole ecosystem upstairs. It keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the way, that's like a small sliver fraction of the 2,000 plus companies being tracked in the commercial and multifamily real estate space. Um, look back 20 years, you know, it, it, we, we've been doing this 20 years, the, 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 the curve's been like a hockey puck. Um, so for the first, you know, 15 of those 20, our firm existed, we were working with a few big systems. <coughs> you too, you know, you, you see, I had to take a big ERP system, scary, high risk of failure, multi-year project, big spend. And now we're on the other end of that spectrum. There's a, a million point solution, a thousand point solutions that are peppering you with marketing and sales, walking around the floor of their hand and stuff out to you. Um, and it's overwhelming, right? So, um, you know, it, it's a double-edged sword. You got a lot of toys you can play with, but then what do you do with all this stuff and how does it you know, fit into your business strategy and how do you, you know, take advantage and get a benefit from it other than just you know, playing with fun software. So um, the best news of it all at this point is there no longer, uh, there's no longer this huge barrier to implement technology. 
Um, so those of you, I'm sure all of you at some point have been through a big system of limitation, and you may still have memories of how difficult and expensive that was, um, these solutions uh, available to you can be plugged in with um, minimal to no um, implementation effort. Um, so there is the ability to take baby steps uh, for the first time in a really long time, first time really ever in our space. You don't have to boil the ocean within a, a massive system. You can take one process within your business that is lagging, um, the easiest one to talk about because they have the best parties are the AP providers, right? So <laughs> two big ones here at the conference, they each had big parties last night. Um, either one of them will immediately get you a return on an investment. It's taking paper-based AP process, um, a, a, a heavy cost and, 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 and off risk to a electronic more controlled process for you know guaranteed ROI. Um, many of you probably ready to take advantage of that. Many of you haven't. That's just like the, you know, low-hanging fruit. Um, so for every process like that, that's like a no-brainer. There's five others that in your business that are no-brainers that you can likely plug in a solution. The key though is, you know, getting that balance we, we talked about earlier of in that like data strategy balance of of. Trying something out, getting win and adoption so you can start to spread the benefit through your organization without 20 people trying it out. You know, So you don't want asset management and investment management and construction to all at the same time go off and implement these point solutions and not talk to each other about how they all will interconnect and share data and how the end-to-end process will flow. So you have to do it a little bit um, holistically as well and, and say, okay, here are our areas that have the most pain points. Here are the best solutions that you know will, will alleviate these pain points, and then how do they all work together? Um, so that's where you may need help, <laughs> and, and you you know you can do it internally uh, if if you take people away from their day jobs, or, or there are firms out there that can can really you know help you with that strategy, and um, figure out you know which of these point solutions are the best benefit for your business and how you can. Um, get them to interoperate and gain efficiency. Well, look, I think, first of all, um, you guys have taken the first step. You're at the conference. You're in this meeting room. You're here to learn. You're here to get more knowledgeable. You've got two uh, really awesome service providers here. You've got, uh, with MRI, we've got two software technology, you know, providers here. Um, so you're getting a good, you know, mix of, 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 of different experiences. I would say um, there's a time for education and learning, and then there's also now a time for action and what do you do with that, right? Um, there's this you know, concept of agile methodology and MVP, um, which is minimal viable product, which uh, most software technology organizations have uh, adopted over the past 10 to 15 years, which is basically a fail-fast methodology. So don't go and create a six-month plan to implement a point solution that you know, will then take you a year to fully realize and you do the first three months and realize it's not what you expected but you already committed six months to it so now you're stuck and you got to figure something out. Go for piloting, go for proof of concepts, get the software technology vendors and the service folks to work with you to build out that, not that six month vision, but that one month vision or that two month vision and what can we do and what can we test and then provide that feedback really, really quickly and efficiently. So. Look at what the software technology, the AI solution, the big data solution, whatever it might be, is doing for you, and, and ask yourself, 
hey, does this get me 70 or 80% of the way, way there, knowing that software is constantly improving and that we can work with these vendors and these service providers to improve the outcomes? Or are we only getting 20 to 30% of the way there and the technology is just not mature enough and let's touch base again in six months and give them proper feedback on what we would have liked to have happened for this to be a successful outcome, right? And I think if you provide that continuous feedback loop, especially to us as software creators, it's very valuable for us because at the end of the day, we're not the market, we're not handling investors, we're not you know, managing the properties, we're building the point solutions to help you to do that. But we can only know what to build if you can give us that feedback or work with the service providers to like kind of provide that um, solution. The good news is, like um, you know, we've all mentioned here, um, you can now deploy things really quickly and efficiently. Most of the service providers and software providers are going with SaaS type of solutions, cloud-based rollouts. There's no you know, need to get you know, a giant on-premise or data center expense or anything like that. Um, and you really can pilot things pretty quickly and efficiently, look for those specific questions, look for those specific processes that you'd like to optimize, that you'd like to make a little bit better. Um, and then of course, uh, being here at the MRI conference and, and seeing that whole entire partner ecosystem, um, if there is something that you would like to semi-automate, fully automate, I'm sure there's a solution out there somewhere within this ecosystem, if not somewhere else uh, out there in, in sort of the world. Um, but it is exciting times, like everybody's been mentioning. It, I think it really is a time for you to be able to actually do something innovative, creative, and measure that ROI and provide it back to the investment team and be like, look, we don't have to wait for a recession for you to yell at me. Like, I, I can I can do stuff now and we can get some really cool results and you will be future-proofed as well as even in your current business, this is gonna help us to grow. Yep, I, you know, I, would, I would agree with all that. And some great points there. Um, you know, I would just <coughs> reflect on the fact that certainly all three of uh, the companies represented here are very kind of familiar and very experienced uh, with our kind of open connected strategy and the integration capabilities that we have uh, with with MRI, which means that you can implement a system uh, easily, uh, say easily, um, within good reason um, that, that you can take advantage of. And they're all kind of very familiar with that, uh, let's say that implement, implementation to success strategy of, of, of approaching it with the right kind of pragmatic view of, of what you should implement first, how to take advantage of it, uh, to, to Abe's point of not going on the SAP, I'm gonna implement this five year uh, kind of the ERP system type approach where you're, by the time you've implemented it, you'll actually need to change it again anyway, kind of thing. So, um, Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us this morning. Thank you uh, for, for participating in this. Um, come to the front if you've got any kind of specific questions. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of the conference and safe travels.